Welcome to the fourth episode of Alphabet Scoop, an alphabetical podcast in which each episode is dedicated to a subject starting with a letter of the alphabet from A to Z, obviously. And uh, our soup of the day is D for dummy. But before we move on to that, uh, I am Ben and my other co-host is... Well, I'm no dummy. I'm Heather. Hey. (laughs) I'm just Ben. I mean, I am Molten Panther also. But yeah, Ben and Heather. So, uh, dummies. I forgot oh, what to ben. say. <laughs> Don't be a dummy. It's time for a steaming bowl of history. Yay! All right. What, what are we? What are we eating up today? Oh well, actually, for once we maybe could eat this bowl because this is about the world's first commercial cheese factory. That was established in Switzerland, of course, in 1815. And it was Swiss cheese then? Uh, I don't know if they only made Swiss cheese, but it was in Switzerland, so... Is all cheese made in Switzerland (laughs) technically Swiss cheese, or is it only if it has the holes in it? Because I actually have been to Switzerland, and I ate some cheese there. Oh. But it wasn't Swiss cheese. Well, it didn't have the holes in it anyway. Yeah, so that is when they, I guess they first started, like, mass producing it. Oh. Do you think they mass produced the holes in it? Or is it, like, a natural thing? I don't actually know. We'll do that on our episode S is for Swiss cheese. <laughs> that is going to be a very narrow topic. <laughs> going to be real specific. <laughs> that was some delicious Swiss cheese soup, I guess. There's no holes in that plan. Uh, so what kind of dummy information do you have for us today? So, Ben, speaking of dummies, do you remember a action figure line, also cartoons from the 90s called the Crash Dummies? The Incredible Crash Dummies? I definitely do not. Oh, I do. Oh, wow. So, what channel was that on? Um, I don't actually know because, it, well, it was a television special called The Adventures of the Incredible Crash Dummies. Oh. And then I think they had some, like, shorts. Um, they, well, it started in the 80s with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that had a series of PSAs uh, that had two talking crash dummies that would be practicing seatbelt safety and also having hilarious antics. Also, it was one of those, like, safety cartoon propagandas? Yeah, but they they had the slogan, you could learn a lot from a dummy. Well, most dummies you wouldn't want to. Well, you would think so, but these dummies are different. <laughs> okay. They had a purpose. And it so was seatbelts. In the 90s, uh, Tyco Toys had a line of action figures that were called the Incredible Crash Dummies, which were based on the characters from the PSAs. And they were supposed to fall apart at the touch of a button on their stomach. Why would you want that? 
Which seems a little grim, but yeah. it's realistic. Can you put them back together? Uh, yeah. I oh, mean, okay. I would think so. Otherwise, that's a pretty lame toy because you can only use it once. Yeah, I thought there was just a break button that you should never press now. Okay, that makes a little more sense. <laughs> yeah. No, so they came with vehicles and you could, like, crash them into walls and they would break. Wow, that almost sounds fun. And like then to, to reassemble them. I would like to crash them not having to build them over and over, though. Yeah, well, it's kind of like Legos. You know, you build something, you take it apart, you put it back together, make it into something else. Although, I, I don't throw it against the wall. Thing, so. <laughs> hey, some kids are a little more uh, rambunctious. Oh, yeah, that is true. I know some kids that would probably be into a toy that, like, explodes when you throw it at a wall, but then you can <laughs> put it back together. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they had, then they had the cartoon special, and they also had a comic book series and a video game for Super Nintendo and Game Boy. Wow. I did not know about that either. Yeah, I, I kind of remember seeing, like, the little commercials for them and stuff with the, like, cartoon dummies. I'm just wondering how I missed all this now. Um, maybe I'm just old. <laughs> <laughs> I was all over the 90s stuff. It's That's weird. So, there's another, you might say, famous crash test dummy. Maybe you've heard of this one. His name is Buster. Oh, I have heard of that one. That one's from Mythbusters, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay, I've heard of that one. So Buster is the most commonly used crash test dummy that they use on the show Mythbusters to help them with the more dangerous myths that they don't want to actually use a live human being for. <laughs> and they have some other dummies, but he's the one that they use the most and the one that they usually call by name and refer to him as though he is an actual person. <laughs> He's gotten messed up through all the episodes I saw. Yeah, he's... I think uh, I read that he had to have his head replaced at one point. Oh, wow. I am not surprised. Uh, but he was first introduced in the first season for the exploding toilet myth, which, understandably, the human host did not want to partake in themselves. Oh, why not? That could be fun. So Jamie was supposed to do it, but he he did not want to because the foam they were using was flammable. And so Adam got the dummy and Jamie named it Buster. Oh, perfect. Um, well, there's one more pop culture crash test dummies that you may or may not have heard of. Is there a band or something? Uh-huh. Oh, is that who this is? I've heard of their them existing. <laughs> do you remember the hit 90s single mm. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the name of their single oh i think i have i think weird al parodied it uh yes he did okay yeah that i know that version uh yeah so there are canadian crash test dummies they're a canadian alternative rock band They've been around since 1988, and apparently they're still a thing, but really now it's just the one guy <laughs> doing anything. This crash and test dummy. They actually had, like, 
a lot of albums released. But most people only know them from their one 90s song that was called mm. <laughs> The one that's very appropriate for this podcast since it's what where uh, Campbell's got their slogan from. I don't think that's correct. No, that that's that's a true thing. That's not in almost all facts. That's Wait, true. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean maybe say, I'm pretty sure Campbell's was around before nineteen eighty eight or the nineties. I can't uh, confirm it, or and I also can't deny it. I don't have proof that I'm wrong. But so I, those are some pop culture crash test dummies, but do you know anything about actual crash test dummies? I see them in car commercials sometimes. Right. Well, um, you may be surprised to know, or maybe not, uh... When they were first investigating the effects of car crash injuries on humans, they actually started out using cadavers and oh. animals. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did not and know also, that. And also live human subjects. Why? Um. Well, because they didn't have crash test dummies, yes. Oh. And apparently... They were either brave, stupid, or both. Or maybe they were on death row. Well, no, actually, it was the scientists that were using themselves as oh. the guinea pigs in some of the experiments. They uh, they did more like low impact or like low speed tests, but there were some guys who did some pretty intense testing that they basically they were <laughs> the the test testy. That seems like a very bad idea. Yeah, so then they realized, they quickly realized that they couldn't do the research themselves up to a certain <laughs> point, and so they needed to find a substitute. So they were trying to find something that could most closely approximate the human body and the effects that it would suffer in a car crash. So they started out using cadavers because... I mean, those are humans, or yeah. or or whatever, <laughs> and animals, which they usually use pigs because, as you may also know from MythBusters, uh, pigs are one of the closest, um, I guess, anatomically, yeah. even though they don't look that I think close, it's but like maybe consistency or something. I don't remember. It's on CSI all the time too. Yeah, They're always using pigs. The, their their skin tissue or something like that is like a pretty good indicator of how something would affect a human body as well. Yeah. Um so quickly the ASPCA protested the animal testing and thankfully no companies do it today. Wait, were they live animals? Uh yes. Oh. I think they were heavily sedated, but they were alive. Yeah, so they would test the car crashes back in the day with animals who were so heavily sedated but still alive unfortunately well not unfortunate that oh. they were alive just <laughs> unfortunate that they use them for it at all i would at least sort of understand if they were pre-dead animals not like they killed them for the test but if like they were already going to be made into food or if they died of natural causes and then using them, that's one thing. But just having like a sleeping pig 
in a car is kind of mean. Yeah, so the ASPCA protested that, so no companies do it anymore. They shut that down a while ago, thankfully. But they also use some live human subject testing, which were usually the scientists themselves that would submit themselves to these tests, which they quickly realized had a lot of limitations because they could only do so much without mortally wounding themselves. Yeah, that that seems kind of ridiculous or desperate or, I don't know, dumb? Yeah, well, there's a long, long history of people doing research on themselves with mixed results. <laughs> it's better than, like, unwilling subjects, I guess. Sure. Like that guy where uh, you said the guy used his gardener's kid to test that disease oh, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like that guy. Yeah, that was even worse. He could have done it on himself. Why didn't he do it on himself? Never thought about that. It's always children he used. Yeah. Poor kids and animals. Well, anyway, so they use the research from the testing that they did with cadavers and animals to help them make the first crash test dummies in 1949. Well, at least that's good, I guess. So, Sierra Sam was actually the name of the first model that they used to test ejection seats in planes, and he would also test helmets and harnesses for airplane pilots. Did they use sedated pigs for that, too? No, I don't think they put any pigs in airplanes. <laughs> but they they would use tests of up to 600 miles per hour rocket sleds Whoa. to test for the airline safety, which they could not use human volunteers to test that because if it went wrong, they would be dead. So yeah. that's when they finally started using the Sierra Sam dummy. And then in the early 50s, the guy who made Sierra Sam and a partner produced a dummy that they used for aircraft test and motor vehicle test. Wow. That, rocket sleds? Yeah. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> and the, you said there were no pigs in rocket sleds, or there were? Uh, as far as I know, there were not. I, I hope that I'm right about that. Me too. Pigs shouldn't have to go faster than they want to go. <laughs> no, and pigs don't seem to want to go too fast in general. Yeah, they're really a kind of moseying creature. <laughs> but anyway, they, they actually made uh, different models of dummies as time went by, and they realized the limitations of the ones they had made. The one one that they use today is called the Hybrid 3, and it made its first appearance in 1976. It's a 50th percentile male dummy, which means that its height and weight is, um, I think it's average with about 50% of the population. Oh, okay. Why doesn't he have as cool a name as Sierra Sam? 
Uh, I guess they gave up on giving them all cool names Aww. after they started mass producing them. <laughs> Sierra Sam was a one of a kind. I think he was just like he, that dummy, kind of like Buster from Mythbusters. Oh, okay, that makes sense then. Um, but if the this this hybrid three dummy, if it could stand. It would be five feet nine inches tall, and it would weigh one hundred and seventy pounds. Oh, that's, that's not too bad. So a little on the small side, maybe for average, but he's the one that they use uh, in all the insurance institute for highway safety tests. I think I remember those. Yes, you may have seen some of those footage in car commercials, car safety commercials, or, like, PSAs. Uh, he also has a big brother, the 95th percentile dummy, which is six foot two and weighs 223 pounds. Oh, he is a big brother. And then there's also a female version... Which is a fifth percentile female dummy that's five feet tall and 110 pounds, so kind of on the small side there, which is why it's only a fifth percentile. Yeah, pretty tiny. I'm not really sure what standards they use to come up with these, but maybe they use a smaller one because they're like, well, if this wouldn't hurt a small person, then it won't <laughs> hurt a larger person. Well, it depends how large the person but gets, also, I guess. Yeah, well, then also doesn't having more mass usually because force equals mass times acceleration, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah they uh, and have then, all sorts of them. Well, they actually also have three child's dummies that respectively represent a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old. Oh, that's a nice little space there what about what do they use for just like a little baby that's like a watermelon in a car seat oh i don't well they don't mention anything smaller than the three-year-old it does say that it's harder for them to obtain data on the effects of accidents on children because given the age of driving most more of the people involved in motor vehicle accidents are adults of at least the age of 16 or older. Hopefully not too many, like, three-year-olds are driving vehicles. Yeah, because if they are, they probably are getting in accidents. Probably a lot of accidents, but I guess there aren't enough because you said they didn't have enough information on it. So good news. Children aren't driving cars very often. Yeah, so they have the whole little family of dummies, and they use different ones and different tests. Uh, They actually had a series of PSAs in in magazines and television in the 80s from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that had two talking crash test dummies named Vince and Larry... That sounds creepy. Well, I think it was played more for a comedy angle, and they would have the slogan, you could learn a lot from a dummy. Well, you shouldn't learn most of the things you hear from a dummy. 
because That's, it's dumb. It might be true, <laughs> but these dummies were talking about seatbelt safety and other car safety practices. Well, speaking of pigs. Dummies? Yeah, speaking of dummies, that's an easy transition. All right. Speaking of that, well, okay, let's start all the way back in the 8th century BC in Greece. Uh, There was a position called the Oracle of Delphi. It's always always some kind of high priestess thing. Uh, Delphi's a town in Greece. doesn't really matter about that, other than that it is the site of the Temple of Apollo and the Oracle of Delphi. Her job was to hang out at this temple and give prophecies about whatever Apollo was talking about. He's a god of like music and medicine and archery, but only sport archery and his other various arts and prophecy. He's a god of prophecy and the work of Delphi says the prophecies that Apollo has prophesized, I think, but that was her job and she did a good job of it. I guess I don't really No. There's also a guy named Eurycles of Athens who was also a prophet, but a different kind of prophet. He was kind of like a solo, solo musician type of prophet. Uh, He claimed that he could speak to the dead and foretell the future because the voices in the souls of the dead lived inside of his stomach. It's very different from the Oracle of Delphi. And uh, no, that seems normal. (laughs) <laughs> do you have that same kind of issue? Well, my stomach does talk sometimes, but I don't think it's prophesying anything except maybe that I'm going to go eat some food soon. <laughs> maybe that's all he ever said. I, I don't have any records about what kind of things he prophesied, but maybe that's all it was. Well, he was what was known as a gastromancer because uh, gastro, stomach, mancy, divination. Like necromancer would be like divination of the dead. So this is divination of the stomach. Well, both uh, the Oracle of Delphi and Eurycles can be labeled as an engastromyth. And if you take those parts of the Greek over to the Latin words, you will get ventriloquist, belly speaker. So that's the first. Oh, no. Yeah, ventriloquist dummies. Here we come. Well. Uh, speaking of ventriloquism, before we get to the dummy part, because that was that took a while to kick in. Well, in the, in the ninth century, there was some guy named Photius who was the patriarch of Constantinople, and he described ventriloquism as the wickedness which lurks in the belly and deserves to dwell in the cesspool. Because uh, a, a lot of religious things really did not like it. They thought of all this prophesizing and contacting the dead as either illness or demonic possession, basically. It it was not a happy, fun thing like it's supposed to be today. Oh, yeah, because ventriloquist dummies aren't creepy or look like they're demon-possessed at all. No, of course not. No, they're all nice and happy. Well, uh, in the 1500s, there was an English nun known as the Holy Maid of Kent or the Mad Maid of Kent, depending on how you feel about ventriloquism or about prophesizing from souls that live inside your stomach. Uh, She claimed that she could hear spirits in her stomach and give prophecies, and she did this to King Henry VIII. 
that famous one. Uh, they started off pretty favorable prophecies, but as he started being a little crazier, as he is, if you know anything about him and his many, many wives, many of whom had no head, eventually, not not when they were married. <laughs> he was into the whole headless woman thing. <laughs> there has, I'm sure that is a thing. But uh, as it started going crazy, she started prophesizing bad things about a royal divorce and predicting wars and plagues and that uh, King Henry would be deposed if he married Anne Boleyn. And Henry responded in a way you would expect him to, uh, had her hanged and put her head on a pole at London Bridge. So, yay ventriloquism still. Uh, mm, yeah, this is all checking out with what I know about ventriloquism. Well, here's a happier thing. In 1753, we get the first sort of uh, entertainment usage of ventriloquism other than spiritual magic. It's a guy named John Parnell who would speak to his hand, who I assume would have like little googly eyes on it and would talk. Would pro- I mean, I don't know if they had googly eyes in the 1700s. He so would maybe, talk to the hand? Yeah, maybe that's where it came from. Uh, 1757, the first usage of a doll was used in a performance. Not a dummy yet, just a doll. And, well, back to, to scary things. In 1800, there was a man in the UK named Mr. Henderson who had an impression of killing a calf, which included a conversation of butchers talking, the struggling and bellowing of the calf, quick breathing of the animal, the wetting of the knife, the plunge, the gush of blood, and the death throes. Yay, Mr. Henderson! Whoa, wow, what a gruesome topic to act out. I don't know who would pay to listen to that sort of thing. Yeah, this guy was into some dark stuff. Well, through the 1800s, ventriloquism started becoming pretty popular in England. Ventriloquists would talk or talk to people who were in chimneys and other rooms and boxes, just random set pieces. It could be Santa in all of those places. Uh, Sometimes they would use dolls, but they were seen as unmanly, and that real masters didn't need dolls. (laughs) Well, now they all pretty much have them. The the puppet-on-the-knee hole routine started in the Victorian era, and mostly because of music hall variety shows, where each act had to quickly get taken down, and then a new one put in very fast, and you couldn't have elaborate sets with various rooms and fireplaces. fastest thing you could do is bring out a box and have a doll or a dummy in it and have it talk. They do travel easily. I will give them that. That's what makes them even creepier. A dummy will travel. Oh, jeez. By the 1950s, there were around 400 professional ventriloquists just in the UK. That is way too many. That seems really high. Yeah, that is an unreasonable amount of dummies. The royal family was even into it. For 21 years, at least starting in like the mid-40s, they would invite a ventriloquist to be the entertainment at Christmas parties. I would not go to those parties, even if the queen invited me. So would you say that you have a fear of ventriloquist dummies? I definitely do. Well, then you would have what is called automatonophobia, which is the fear of uh, humanoid figures that aren't real humans 
I guess that would include mannequins, possibly. I know it includes like uh, wax figures and animatronic creatures. Some of those animatronics are creepy. Not all of them, but... They can be, definitely. Mannequins, usually if they're just like the ones in stores, those are okay. As long as they don't come to life like in Doctor Who. Oh man, yeah, definitely not like that. Well, there's a reason that they're kind of scary. Uh, they're exaggerated features that make them so scary with like their glossy colors, their giant creepy eyes, their pointy faces, and their crazy hair. It's all designed to be visible from the back row of a theater. So far away, they might look pleasant, but not anymore. They're just creepy to everyone now. Like, for example, in 1964, if you want a creepy dummy story, there was a very popular British ventriloquist named Dennis Spicer. He died in a terrible car crash. Car was totaled, but the dummy in the back seat was totally okay. I think he caused it. Anthony Hopkins was in a psychological thriller in the 70s called Magic about a ventriloquist who, whose dummy was killing people. And I think that he said it wasn't his fault or something, but it sort of was split personality thing. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Well, this evil or creepy dummy thing is everywhere. It's been at least two episodes of The Twilight Zone. Poltergeist, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Goosebumps has a series of them. Seinfeld had uh, references to it. Doctor Who has had them a couple times. A movie called Dead Silence is all about that. It's everywhere now. Including my nightmares. Speaking of your nightmares, uh, I recommend that you do not go to a town in Kentucky called Fort Mitchell. Or just really anywhere in Cincinnati. Because it's only about five minutes away from Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. There is a place in Fort Mitchell called Vent Haven Museum. It is the world's only museum of ventrilo ventriloquial figures and memorabilia. At least it's the only one. It's only open May to September, as far as I can tell. And it's only booked by appointment. So you shouldn't be able to accidentally stumble into it. But there's a reason it, it's, it's terrible. Uh, it's sort of a ventriloquist dummy ret retirement home. Because when a dummy's owner dies, this is where they the dummies get donated to. So there are at least 800 dummies at this museum. So if anywhere in the world has haunted ventriloquist dummies, it's probably Venthaven. Yeah, they should do one of those ghost adventures or whatever shows there, because I bet that thing would be off the charts. Oh, I wonder if they have. I'll have to look that up later. Well, now you know why you should probably still be afraid of ventriloquist dummies. Because they're genuinely horrifying. <laughs> yeah, and the history is pretty dark. Well, thanks for that nightmare fuel, Ben. No problem. Let's get to something a little more cheery. How about lollipops? Yay, that's way better than animals being tested in car crashes and haunted ventriloquist dolls. Yeah, let's bring it back up. So, have you heard of dum-dums? I have, and I used to eat them all the time. I did too. But did you know that they have been around since the 1920s? I did not know that. That seems pretty old. 
Yep, uh, almost a full century now. Ooh. So, Dum Dums, the small round lollipops, they have been around since 1924. Oh, wow. So, when they were made, the sales manager at the time came up with the name Dum Dums because he thought it was something that children could easily say. Because that way they could insult their classmates easier? Sure. Well, you know, kids always say and repeat the things that you don't want them to, so they were probably saying it anyway. Oh, that makes sense. Maybe it gives it more of a positive connotation then. Sure. So they were simple to make. They were inexpensive, and they became really popular. Uh, they're made in 16 flavors, and then they have new ones every so often, and then they've also retired some other ones. Do you remember the mystery flavor? I I do remember that, and I always thought it was a little bit weird. Yeah, I couldn't really quite identify what it was. Yeah, I never could uh, tell. Well, the mystery flavor, which had question marks on the wrapper and said usually it would have whatever fruit or whatever flavoring of the lollipop on the wrapper the mystery flavor had the question marks and it turns out the flavor is a result of one batch ending and another batch starting and they just didn't clean out the machine in between flavors oh ew well, I mean, it's efficient. It is. I bet someone thought they had a brilliant idea. Like, oh, instead of cleaning, let's just give out these junk flavors. That must mean that there are way more mystery flavors than any other flavor. Um, Probably. I guess it would depend on how many batches they made that day and where they send them all. Like, one store gets all the mystery flavors. Oh, hopefully they just throw that many mystery ones in a dump somewhere. Hey, they're not all bad. Not not all, but you never know. And I'm always scared I'm going to get, like, a root beer pineapple one or something. Yeah, well, some of the flavors go together better than others. Some of their current flavors are blue raspberry, blackberry, cherry, coconut, grape, Lemon lime, maple syrup. Whoa. Yeah, that's a weird one. Orange, raspberry lemonade, sour apple, strawberry, and watermelon. Those don't seem that bad. Uh, They also had some seasonal flavors, which uh, may or may not still be around depending on the time of year. Like apple cider, gingerbread, green apple, hot chocolate. Sugar cookie and sugar plum. Well, some of those I want to try. Some of those I don't want to. I want to try the sugar cookie. Yeah, that one sounds good. And maybe the apple cider could be good. I definitely would not want to try gingerbread because I don't really like gingerbread flavor anyway. I'm always ambivalent about it. I like it sometimes. Sometimes it smells delicious. But, uh, I don't know. I can't decide for that one. And green apple, I guess it was a seasonal flavor. It says in parentheses Grinch next to it. What? So I guess it was for Christmas. 
But the only green apple sucker or lollipop that I liked was those ones that had the caramel on the inside. Ooh, those were good. But I pretty much just suffered through the green apple part to get to the caramel because I don't <laughs> like the flavor of green apple. But I like the caramel, so. Oh, well, yeah, that's because caramel is amazing. Why did it have a caramel flavored one? Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> they should. You should write into them about that. Hashtag caramel dum dums. Yeah, maybe we'll get free ones if we have enough hashtags at it. Yeah, I'm not even sure where you can still buy them. I'm sure they still sell them places. Directly from the website. <laughs> so they also have some flavors that they've discontinued. Some for better or for worse. Oh, like what? Um, Bubblegum, butterscotch, buttered popcorn, cherry cola. Wait, they don't have butterscotch? Nope. That was the best one. Oh. Uh, fruit punch, cream soda, cotton candy, chocolate. Uh, and also they used to have, in 2014, they had Hawaiian punch, fruit juicy red, and Hawaiian punch polar blast. Oh, wow. Uh, they also had a strawberry shortcake for a while. Oh, that one a sounds good. Lemon Dolce de Leche. They got some creative flavors out there. Yeah, and just imagine the potential mystery flavors off of oh. some of those. Oh, no. And if you add in root beer with it. Ugh. Yeah, I don't think a root beer would mix too well with any mystery flavor. Yeah. Maybe uh, cream soda. I think that was on one of those lists. Jeez. Yeah, I remember, I remember the cream soda flavor, I think, at some point, at least. Cream soda is like the better brother of root beer to me. Way, way better. Oh. Well, now I'm hungry for dum-dums. Yeah, and we can forget all our, our nightmares from the previous segment. <laughs> uh, hopefully, because, well, I mean, I had to watch the... Do uh, ventriloquism documentaries and I had to research and I saw a bunch of pictures from that museum and so I'm going to be having nightmares or actually everyone might because one of those pictures will probably be the picture this week oh no don't <laughs> do it then I'll photoshop each of them holding a dum-dum to make it balanced out then can you put it over their faces I'll, I'll replace their eyes with dum-dums <laughs> that might not be better <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. Alright, so I forgot to do a quiz this week. So instead, uh, our regular segment, Almost All Facts, where you get some stuff, and some are not real, and some are real, is going to be the quiz. And it's going to be uh, dummy-related, not ventriloquist dummy-related. And so because of this, it is not just like three things like it normally is. And you won't have to just guess like which one I'll give you a list of topics. You have to tell me which ones are real and which ones are fake that I made up or found made up online. So, you know, those four dummies books, they're like yellow and black. They were, I think started getting big in like the nineties. I think it was. 
Oh, yeah. There's like an entire wall of them now. There's so many. There are an awful lot of Four Dummies books. Uh, those who don't know, it's like instructional or like reference kind of self-help books that try to teach a basic understanding of a topic through hopefully relatable and easy to understand means. Well, the very first one was DOS for Dummies in 1991. Tell people learn wow. DOS. And their best or the best-selling computer book of all time of all computer books is Windows for Dummies at 15 million sold. Wow. I think there's an Apple versus Windows joke in there somewhere, but <laughs> there probably is. But I think there's also like a uh, Mac for Dummies out there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. All right, so yeah, I am going to give you some something blank for Dummies, and you have to tell me if this is a real for Dummies book or a fake for Dummies book. And well, they have them for almost everything, so this could be tricky. Yeah, this this can be tricky. I remember I found out once that there's a Kama Sutra for dummies. Oh, which didn't make okay. any sense to me why that would exist. <laughs> All right, well, your first one is beekeeping for dummies. Oh, okay. So I'm just saying if it's real or not yeah, real. Yeah, just real or fake. Uh, I feel like that's probably real. It is. I don't know. I think if you want to do beekeeping, you should not find the Four Dummies book, but an actual book about it. Yeah, you don't want to mess around when you're dealing with bees. You can't just, like, casually keep bees. All right, uh, growing a mustache for dummies. Okay, well, I'm not a mustache haver. <laughs> but I know a lot of them, and it seems like it pretty much just happens naturally, so I'm going to go with false. Yes, it is false. <laughs> Retired racing greyhounds for dummies. What? <laughs> Retired? Oh, I feel like that could go either way, because I know a lot of people own retired... Look, uh, it has learned to plan a right royal street party or celebration. Hold a royal quiz for family and friends, and select a spot to catch the action in person. Okay, so hopefully this came out before the actual wedding. Yeah, <laughs> I really hope so. It even has like a list of um, an in-depth explanation of all the customs and rules of etiquette and stuff like that. All right, jigsaw puzzles for dummies. Hmm. I don't really know what that book would consist of other than like start with the corners and <laughs> look for pieces with specific parts of the picture on them so i'm gonna go with false it is real oh uh, but that's because it's an actual jigsaw puzzle for dummies ah. it's like a thousand piece puzzle but the pieces are all numbered on the back and it comes with a map so you know where to put them by number oh my gosh that's like color by number but for puzzles <laughs> yeah i i was surprised because i mean the map you need is the front of it you shouldn't have to number the pieces on the back it's just it wasn't that hard of a puzzle either it was not like one of the crazy ones that's all white or something food blogging for dummies oh that's gotta be real that is definitely real becoming a superhero for dummies Hmm. I feel like that's probably real. 
That is fake. Oh, <laughs> I want it to be real. I want to be a superhero. Become a billionaire. Expose yourself to gamma radiation. Let's see, uh, buying a property in Spain for dummies. That seems oddly specific. <laughs> But they do have like a billion House Hunters International shows, so I'm going to go with that's real. That is real. These, I couldn't find that many other buying a property in places. Spain seemed to be the biggest one. Maybe that's where everybody wants to live. Oh, yeah. Good point. I guess so. Reality television for dummies. That's a redundant. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with fake. Real. Oh no. Wait, no, it's fake. <laughs> I, I, I didn't read my own notes right. <laughs> well, that's still really. Yeah, that that is fake. Training your cat to play fetch for dummies. My cat actually does play fetch. <gasps> How? But, um. Well, I didn't train her. She just does it. Our cat does half of it. <laughs> She just, I throw the toy and she brings it back to me and then she'll bring it to me to throw oh, until she gets bored and then she won't bring it back anymore. <laughs> yeah, our cat will, will throw it and then she'll go over and like run really fast and then just lay there and play with it. Which leads me to believe that you can't train cats to do anything because I have not successfully trained my cat to do anything, so I'm going to go with fake. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> Farmville for dummies. Oh... Uh... It makes me sad, but I'm pretty sure that's real. That is real. <laughs> I I read part of it online on Amazon. You can like skim through some of the pages. Does it get all the achievements and like the tech help you might need on it? Karaoke for dummies. Hmm. Is there really a strategy to karaoke? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with fake. Correct again. You're doing really well this time. Skeet shooting for dummies. Hmm. I'm going to go with real because I don't even really know how you do that. Do you, Is that the thing where you like shoot something in the air and shoot it? Yeah. Like, that is fake. I mean, you launch it in the air. And... <laughs> you shoot it with one gun, get your other gun out really fast and shoot that one out of the air. <laughs> yeah. No, you that's fake. Be, like more than Katniss fast for that. <laughs> Parking cars for dummies. Now, would this be for the casual driver or for the valet who parks cars? Comedians oh, for dummies. There's, <laughs> there's curling for dummies. Uh, investing. As far as I can find <laughs> that. that a real thing? Apparently, it means farewell, I think, hopefully, in Spanish. I'm only thinking of other words that start with D, but they, like, Dankeschön is thank you in German. <laughs> Until next time, Dankeschön. I just know that, oh, de nada is like, you're welcome in Spanish. Yeah, okay, despedida means farewell or goodbye. Desperado.